I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Chef Porter on the show today of Del Posto, the Italian restaurant in the meatpacking district. Hello, sir. Hi, Levy. How's it going? Nice to see you. Happy New Year. So you're a big time sommelier over at the uh, four-star Del Posto there, but how'd you get your start? You were over in Austin back in the day? Uh, Yeah, I started in in Austin in college. It was, uh, as most sommeliers, I think, of of our generation, it kind of was happenstance. You kind of start drinking at a party. And then you learn, oh, people make money off of this, and I'm better at this than organic chemistry. And uh, I took it from there. I started at restaurants uh, as, a, as a dishwasher um, because I, well, I want, wasn't old enough to, to buy alcohol legally, and it was a good way to get free alcohol from the chef. Because um, you're part of the crew. Exactly. You're on the crew. Exactly. And I think he felt bad for me for being a dishwasher on Thursday, Friday, Saturday night as an 18, 19-year-old kid. Uh, trying to make some extra cash and smelling really, really bad. And at the end of the night, it was like my little reward and my, at that time, minimum wage, I think was like $4. Uh, so $4 and a glass of wine, it kind of uh, pushed me over the edge eventually. When I turned 21, I, I, I really wanted to learn more about wine. And I uh, begged and pleaded and bartered uh, and some other unsundry things to get a job as a stock boy. I'm afraid um, to ask what yeah. that means that you're talking about. Use your imagination. <laughs> um, and started working at this uh, retail shop in Austin. Oh, and, okay. Uh, stocking boxes and uh, just the glamour side of the, the glamour, exactly. Yeah. The 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 you know, can you lift fifty pounds or more? Uh, at first, I didn't know how to use my knees, so I would always bend over. And uh, do you still have issues from that? Um, some days, bending over. Um, because you know, sometimes I feel it, though. No, I'm serious. No, no, no. I, I mean, it's. Uh, I've actually gotten much better at lifting boxes, especially like champagne, um, which I find, you know. And when I was young, and I, I was huffing boxes more. Now I'm, I'm a big sommelier. Maybe, maybe, maybe not big time, but I'm, I'm a hefty man. Um, I do have younger guys who haven't blown their knees out yet to move boxes for me, which is nice. Uh, but back in the day, yeah, lifting three or four boxes to 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 decrease my uh, my number of times I'd have to run back and forth. I don't think I could do that anymore. But at that store, it was called Central Market. What and, was that like? Uh, I I mean, I loved it. I mean, it's it's the reason I'm sitting across from you today. Oh, yeah? Um, you know, you think back to all the jobs you've had, and I, I think so fondly of that job, even though I was paid $10 an hour. Uh, well, not to begin with, not to schlep boxes, but when I was the assistant buyer, I got to pay ten, got paid ten bucks an hour. But uh, everything about the job was just—it was discovery. You yeah. know, when you're new at something, it's it's every day is a new adventure, and and you're just so much information is coming at you, and you're not jaded yet. There's there's nothing that's that's made you mad or angry. I mean, I always talk about, it, and I try to talk to servers or one of our captains is is this really interesting uh gentleman from tuscany and and he gets really upset when guests don't do what he wants them to do right 
what he expects and, the normal behavior would be. Right. And and not a, not even not like I, I wouldn't say behavior, just like they're they're nice people. They're just maybe for for what he's used to un, inexperienced diners, which I always take as the the best opportunity to introduce people into the experience of dining. What because what, you see yourself in them. Exactly. Because you're like, I used to be that guy. I loved Rin, me... Ridge Paso Robles late Zinfandel, late harvest Zinfandel was my favorite wine. Yeah. I love that wine. And I keep that I have a case in my cellar still. <laughs> I haven't touched it. Um, but I keep it there to remind myself of what I what I liked and what I enjoyed. So when someone says, "Oh, you know, I really like El Dorado Hills Zinfandel," I'm all like, "Sweet, let's literally." It actually, is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's find you something in this realm of Italy because we only sell Italian wines at Del Posto to but, make you feel. But there are Italian wines like that. I mean, exactly. It's not like it's, you know, <laughs> it's not like it's not form. Exist, you know? and, and to force to to force upon them Brunello or Barolo or or these classic wines that they're not going to enjoy and they're going to leave this experience saying those guys were dicks. Right. That's that's not why I got in this. That's not what Central Market taught me. Central Market taught me to have fun with people, to to enjoy the experience, the the camaraderie, be the the short interaction that you have as either a retailer or as a sommelier that you build a, sh- a really quick short bond that can thing can grow. I'm still friends with people that I sold wine to when I was 21. I mean people that were much older than I am, you know, lawyers, doctors, financiers, artists, professors, because I was at the uh, near University of Texas. And I'm in contact with a, a few of them. And throughout my career, I've been able to do that. And even though we have disparate lives, we do different things. There's this commonality and this beauty and this discovery of, of wine that's led us together and kept us together. Because there is something fun about wine that is yeah. shared across boundaries exactly like you can come from this part of the street and i can come from that part of the street we both enjoy this exactly and 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 at every price point you know and that's that's the thing that i've always kept in my heart is you know and I, like the the adage that in the once you get into the wine business you're you're paid like a pauper but live like a king and obviously that's that's hyperbole i mean we're I, i'm paid well uh, for what i do um and i i love and i think at the end of the day when you really, really love something, the, the money's just secondary. The money helps pay my rent. It helps me support my family. But at the end of the day... Is that what you're supposed to do with it? Uh, damn it. Levy. Sorry. Well, I mean, <laughs> I've, been, I've, here I've, today. I've been married for more, more years than you. So <laughs> right, I, right. Uh, I've got a guy. Um, she is I don't female, even know what that means. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I've actually met her. Yeah. I didn't check any parts or anything, but uh, I do recall female. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, what were we talking about? I just lost my. You thought. being a friendly dude. Oh well, and like and have fun. But yeah, yeah. actually, it's funny because you know, I met this guy and he was super into Barolo, and he uh, knew you from Moza when you worked in L.A. And I did not know you, and he said, "Oh yeah, I heard Jeff Porter's coming." And he said, "You know, we really have fun together at Moza," and that's exactly what he said about you. Uh, and I've, I've heard other people say that too. So I think there is probably something to that where you bring a cool vibe, a fun vibe, let's have a good time vibe to the table because that's how other people describe you. Well, that's that's awesome. I mean, that's that's what I have always tried to project in everything that I do. Like my my one stint outside of wine um, after Central Market, I I really wanted to get out of Texas. I, I was just, I mean, born and raised there. I love the state, but I needed more. I needed more experience in my life and. I knew I wanted, I knew I loved wine. I knew it was my passion, but I, I was 22 years old and I had had plans to go to medical school. And um, I, you know, I was taking a break. I was tired from just, I, I felt like from kindergarten through college, I'd never stopped. I'd never stopped working really hard to Central achieve. Market was a big operation. Right. I mean, it's, maybe you could describe it a little well, bit. Well, Cent- Central Market is, um, the original concept was, you know, in, in Texas, when most people think about food in Texas is kind of, you know, a Luddite or, or kind of just, it's beef and potatoes. It's a big piece of meat. Brisket um, and a barbecue. And, and thank God it's it's my comfort food. I, I love it to this day. Um, but Central Market was this amazing concept, an offshoot of HEB, which is a, a huge grocery chain in, in Texas and now in Mexico and the southern uh, part of the United States. And the idea was to create a, a big marketplace that felt like individual stalls, like a, a giant farmer's market under one roof. Um, so it's amazing produce, amazing uh, like a meat and fish counter that I'm 
this is not joking. It's it it seems like a hundred feet long, mm-hmm. just top top meat, and then a wine department inside a grocery store that had about three thousand SKUs and four Which to, are different wines, right? Yeah, different wines, um, four to five full time salespeople that okay. were on the floor every day there to build relationships with guests to 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 stock the wine, obviously, but but create a. a a, a list or a selection of wines that wasn't your average grocery store. So you weren't finding the big commercial names necessarily. Right. I mean, we had, you know, um, oh, what was it? As Lano, es, Lano Estacado was this jug wine. It's kind of like the Estancia of Texas. It's, it's grown. Is that true? Yeah. It's grown way out in West Texas. It's actually a, a project between a French company and the University of Texas. They own the land out there. Okay. And we had a whole wall of that jug wine, but then you you cross and there's stacks of just, you know, at the time, um, Jorge Donez was coming on the scene. So sure. like, I remember Bassa, you know, and, and Bassa before it has this, today the Bassa wine is the very modern label. Yeah. And back then it was like a beach chair on a white back. It was an ugly, hideous label, but we were selling it for like $3.99 and it was a discovery wine. And the cool thing to be in Texas and selling, you know, we mainly sold wines from Spain and Italy and France. It, it wasn't a, a U.S.-based marketplace. I mean, the values we still found were were in Europe, which I, I still kind of espouse today. I mean, all my mentors from there were all European-centric palates. And I think that's what pushed me towards definitely Barolo and, and Burgundy and Champagne. Uh, we, we, of course, did have all the the the, the duck corns of the world and 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 Farnientes, but the the majority of what we're selling were these kind of discovery wines from Spain, Central and Southern Italy, and uh, Southern France. And you kind of seem drawn to Italy in general. It Italian wine, and we've talked about this before. I think our, our commonality and the passion for it is one: it's it's people, culture, geography. To have such a little slice of Earth, this peninsula that has so much variety, so much character, even within every little region, you'll go 20 kilometers and it's totally different wine, totally different dialect. And it's, it's this fountain of knowledge that, you know, even studying it strictly really for the last five years, I'll meet a new producer and I'll learn something new. It's, it's in obviously having the laws change all the time. Isn't very helpful either, but um, <laughs> to them either. Probably. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's, it's just this, the the people I've met in Italy and the wines that I've tasted, I feel that when I when I sell and when I taste the wines, I can understand the people better. And you think they're like regular folks for the most part. Obviously, there's there's the 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 upper echelon, the 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 what the aristocrats, yeah, aristocratic royalty um, groups. But even within that, you'll you'll meet the people who you'll you'll find out later they're a a, a duke, and you're like. Really, that guy was like pounding grappa like a brother, you know, and and singing rock songs. And I, I think that's that's again the the fun of wine. That's why that keeps keeps you invested every time. I'll have a, a bad night, let's say on the floor. I get frustrated or I'm tired. I just step back, take a deep breath, and I remember these these events in my life because of wine. That's allowed me to to experience truly life to the fullest to, to make me feel more alive to look things at, that were fun exactly to to know that if if i die tomorrow almost everything i've done has has counted with regards to to my life it's it's a selfish endeavor to an extent but i, I can you haven't really... sold yourself out you've done okay uh, I've, yeah i've done okay i mean i i there's certain things that i've done f- in a business standpoint that I, uh, some people would be consider being selling out but at the end of the day I've had to do things for my guest and and like I've I've said before you know this is not none of the wine programs I've I've inherited or run or worked at have been 100% mine they haven't been my ideas they haven't been um I never set them up from day 1 cuz you you never opened a right, restaurant right I've never I've never opened a restaurant before um and my job has always been to execute someone's philosophy and, and do it as best I can, flavoring it 
with some of my personal ideas. But at the end of the day, I think the great thing about being a sommelier is my personality is what comes onto the floor. That's what I give the guest. It's not in the pages because if you look at our wine list at Del Posto, it's 80 some on pages and it's just words on a page. And I, I, I like to go over to, I don't know if you know this, but Cliff Notes, all of us probably remember that from college. It was a professor from the University of Texas that created Cliff Notes. I didn't know that. And uh, being a Texan and having been a, and being an alumnus of the University of Texas, I like to tell people I'm the Jeff Notes of the Del Posto wine list when I go to their page because people, most people look at it and their eyes get glazed over and huge. And I just, I just want to tell them, sit back, relax. I'm here to translate this for you. Would it help if you put it in yellow covers? That's a good idea. I'm just saying. I'm going to talk to Mario and Joe about that. But what you mean is uh, you execute someone else's vision and you've had a sense of responsibility to those people. Exactly. Because they're, they're entrusting me to execute their vision. And it's a fairly large scale thing that we're talking about here. That's right. not a $5 lemonade stand. No. These are uh, at the, the level of Del Posto. We're talking about a, a very serious investment that the Joe and Mario and Lydia made, plus all their investors, to open the restaurant. How big is the sommelier team? Uh, the sommelier team is six sommeliers, myself, and uh, what we call a wine runner slash seller master. So, so eight dudes. Eight people. Uh, two women, six guys. And that's probably one of the biggest sommelier crews in the country, I'd say. I, I think so. Uh, and I'm super blessed to, 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 and grateful and honored to, to be able to work with such a great team. Like, and to lead it. Yeah. It, it's, just, yeah. it's, um, you know, I, I really, my leadership style has obviously evolved over time. How does that happen? Um, well, one, I think learning again, going, always going back to central market, the, the, the people I work for worked with and for at central market, it was always collaborative. It was never demonstrative. It was never, here's a wine I tasted. You're going to sell it. It was, you know, sometimes an in-cap would show up and I hadn't gotten to try that wine and, and they'd rip a cork and be like, here you go. Let's try it. Let's, what do you think? Or m more often than not, it'd be like, oh, uh, Jeff, let me relieve you here. Go up to the cafe and try these wines and take your notes. And I want to know what you think. And that, that really impacted me. I, I really think it's important because at the end of the day with a giant sommelier team like a Del Posto, I only work one section. I do work every night on the floor. But I work a very I work one area, and the restaurant has thirty four tables, and I either encompass six to eleven tables. So there's a whole other part of the restaurant that I'm not impacting. So those people on the team have to have their voice. They have to understand what's going on, and I want them to be proud of what they're selling. And if I give them that opportunity, they're going to have more ownership of the program. And I think that's that's the key to having a really successful wine program is is having everybody in your crew have some sort of ownership. And I, I'm toying with this new idea of actually giving some of my senior sommeliers like a budget and assigning them some uh, vendors and saying, okay, you have, let's say $5,000 a month. You you set up the appointments, you meet, you do it, you make sure it's XYZ, it's sold, and uh, we'll, we'll evaluate uh, how the wine's selling and how it's being received. Because it is a big list. It's a huge And a list. big yeah. inventory to manage. Exactly. Is there a lot of turnover in terms of bottles? I mean, it seems like uh, uh, some of those wines you can't have huge stock of. Yeah. I mean, we, and this is something I, I've been trying to learn more as I get to know more sommeliers here in New York. Like how often do people change their wine list, you know, especially with big programs. And um, we honestly, we try to change it every day. It's usually five to six times a week that it's changed. It's a lot of paper. Um, we're actually looking at iPads now. Uh, to decrease our our paper costs and and also make giving it, those to guests exactly, but the 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 management of inventory is is the challenge. That's what I spend the majority of my day doing. When I come to work, it's uh, reviewing the eighty six list, reviewing sales. We have this thing called the spread. It's a giant Excel spreadsheet. It's it's actually pretty archaic the way we run it, but uh, we've got it down to a pretty intense science. Um, and you know half of our inventory is at a at a offsite. Uh, seller that's managed by this amazing company uh, that I can do all the stuff on the internet with and I can move product from the restaurant to the warehouse and vice versa. And it happens in a day turnaround, which is amazing. But yeah, stuff we buy at auction or sellers that we buy, we'll have one bottle of this. And once it's gone, I like it off the list because it's really embarrassing um, to have someone like, let's say, oh, they want this 1955 Conterno. It's like an $800 bottle of wine. And then you come to find out it's not there. 
that's it's it's heartbreaking for me and it, i feel i feel bad for the guests and it makes us look bad does that do we catch it all the time i mean in your experience there's this the the 86 list this board of of it's a it's a sheet that we write on that oh we've sold this out for that night and if, if somebody forgets to write it on there. if someone forgets to write it on it's such a big list that it could take 2 weeks until someone resells that wine that we find out that it's 86 but it's tough when someone makes the emotional attachment to a wine and says, yeah, I'm going to spend $800 on this wine now. Or even if the sommelier sells them on that wine, like takes them on the, right. the verbal trip, like you got to try this. this is amazing. And then, oh, we can't find it. Yeah, that's that's honestly the worst. I mean, it's just, I mean, ever, again, going back to putting yourself in the guest's place. We talk a lot that, talk about that a lot at, 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 at Del Posto is like, remember, you're a guest sometimes too. And how, how does the guest feel? Because coming to a restaurant like Del Posto is, is a financial investment. It's an emotional investment. And I remember my wife and I, when we were dating, we both love food. We both love experience. And instead of buying material things, we would save our money and go to Danielle or go to Per Se or a place like Del Posto. And for two young people, my wife is an artist and I'm in the wine business, so we don't have tons of money. It's a financial investment. And it, it and when the experience didn't live up to what we were paying for, it, it hurt. It made you angry or jaded or Yeah, made you feel uh not just angry but dumb sometimes. Right. Yeah. Like I, made, I got taken. I got duped. Yeah. And you never want that. And you know not that it happened at those places you named. Right. No, 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 no. I mean, it's it's uh those experiences actually were the things that keep me going in this business and, and made me excited to move to New York because I went to uh Danielle five years ago with my wife when we lived in San Francisco and uh, per se, right at right when it opened, because I was friends with some of the sommeliers at the French Laundry, and and uh, I've always wanted to live in New York City ever since I was a little kid. My mom's from upstate New York. I came to New York, uh, stayed at the Howard Johnsons here in Times Square when I was in eighth grade, and it was like four in the morning. I couldn't sleep, and I remember just sticking my face in the window in the hands, this big, fat, chubby little blonde kid, and looking at the lights and going, "I gotta live here." And every time I've ever come here, I've wanted to come here, and the opportunity to move to New York happened really quickly. And it was just kind of a phone call one day, right? It, it you were working at Moza in LA. Moza at LA and and uh Joe Bastianich, the, the 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 wine director before me, Henry Devar, um, decided he wanted to move to Italy and um the opportunity opened and, and Joe I guess thought of me and I got a call and because there's a lot of people in the company. There's a lot of people he in could the have company. tapped someone from Babo or and um it was it was an honor and and it was funny because we had just moved to LA and I'd, I'd only been at Moza for a year and a half. And, you know, I moved my wife, you know, luckily with her job at the time, she was able to telecommute. And I came home and I was like, you know, you want to move to New York? And she's like, what? I was like, yeah, they want us to move there in four weeks. She was like, four weeks? I was like, how about six? And we did it in six. And I, I got the phone call, I think, mid-January uh, 2011. We were here beginning of March. And what, what would you say the differences are from LA to New York, just so far in your experience, having worked in both markets? Um, the the number one difference is the amount people drink. Is that true? One hundred percent. And it's from a from a sales perspective, it's it's awesome. And, and from a personal perspective, the fact that when I go out, it's it's not about getting uh, hammered or, or or drunk. It's just about truly enjoying the hundred percent experience. Starting with a cocktail at the bar, having a glass of or a bottle of champagne, having white wine, having red wine, having dessert wine. In LA, it's few and far between that are that do that because of driving. They have to drive after they have the dinner, to drive. and they don't have the the cordial at the end or the the, the exactly. digestivo that you might have in Italy because you have to drive. Right, and you know at at Mozza we had our bar was called the Amaro Bar, and and Joe. Before they had opened, um, Moza had gone around Italy and found all these Amaros, and we, we sent them. Yeah, he did that at Lupa to too. Moza, yeah, yeah. And we gave them away for free because no one would buy them. Is that true? You had yeah. to give them away for free. And and but we it was part of that that idea of hospitality. That the well, they're also somewhat inexpensive. Usually. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but we would do these flights, and and because we knew people. One, weren't going to to pay for them because they had to drive, but we'd give them like little one ounce tasters just so we could show them the experience of Amaro and get people interested into it. But And how many of those people ended up in jail? Um, 
That's got to be off the record. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, well, the next interview, we'll get you. Um, well, apply me with some Amaro and I might tell you. I think uh, I think you guys missed a real opportunity to call it the Amaro Baro. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. You know what I mean? I like that. I all, like that. All right. So you're there in LA and people are drinking a little less, but how else is it different? I mean, is it a different I, kind of clientele? or I mean, it's a different industry out there. What are people? It, it, I mean, like. the style? Osteria Mozza um, and Pizzeria Mozza were, you know, the in we call it in, in LA is the industry, and the industry is the, the movie and television business. Oh, you call that the industry? Yeah, that must be industry. confusing yeah. here, huh? <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're like, we got some industry people tonight. And you're like, like what? Angelina Jolie's yeah, exactly, coming in, and they're like, exactly, no, no, the captain from EMP. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the industry, uh, it, it was it was super dynamic and unique, and it was cool to 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 see all these famous people and people, you know, you watch. Madman, and you, you have uh, John Ham Ham come in, and he's sitting down, and he orders George T. Stag, and you couldn't be more proud. Yeah, you're, you, like, you're thankful yeah. he got a cocktail in real you're life, like, like, like some, yes, some scotch. You're drinking brown, brown. yeah, like um, he does on exactly. the show. Yeah. Um, but the the most unique thing outside of that, with with the industry and the, the buzz around that, and and being the hot restaurant in L.A. at the time when I was there, um, is is still the open and willingness of of people even from California to drink Italian wines that I think the, the is that true? Because mm -hmm. a lot of times people uh, complain about the difficulty of selling European wine in California. They would, they, I mean, guests would complain, but it was our job to win them over. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that was the fun and the challenge of it. How did and, you go about doing that? Um, with a giant smile yeah. and, and the fun and, and just really. And an Amaro bar. <laughs> an Amaro bar. Yeah. Applying them with Amaro. Uh, taste this. It's sweet. Um, and bitter. Uh, but, you know, people, you get dim disarmed when when you go into a, a restaurant and you're, you're expecting, you know, California Cab, California Shard, and you don't see any of that. And we don't do it by varietal, we do it by region. So even at even at, at Moza for a, a, a restaurant in LA, we had a lot of Psalms. We had four or five Psalms. Um, because we, you know, Joe and Mario fully believe that to, to properly place wine and food in the right frame, You've got to have the people to talk about it. Because uh -huh. if someone's just order firing uh, a Brunello because they heard Brunello. That's probably all they're going to be doing. Yeah. Is getting Brunello. And nine times out of 10, or maybe seven times out of 10, they may not like it. Yeah. Because they, they read one thing. They say, oh, it's supposed to be a really powerful wine. Right. Let's say they order Costanti Brunello and it's super elegant and high in acid and earthy. They're like, what is this? Yeah. I mean, how many times do people come in and be like, I want a big wine like right. a Brunello? And you're like, well, not all of them are. You know, and then they, a little yeah. mean, you know. And then they think you're stupid. Um, you know, like people say, "Oh, I like Amarone and Barolo," and I'm like, "Well, that's me too." Um, which do you feel like tonight? But in LA, after you get past that, that the shock for some people that we didn't have California wines, it was just about, you know, what do you like to drink? Oh, you you like Santa Lucia Highlands Pinot Noir? Sweet. I've got this wine. Imagine this: Pinot Noir and Syrah have a love child. It's called Legrine. Do you lay it down with a Barry White like that? Oh yeah, because that that oh, actually yeah. makes a lot of sense yeah. why I mean, it happens now. That's that. Does the music come on in the background? Like, yeah, I mean it's Hollywood, man. You're like <laughs> the lights go lower. <laughs> right. like, Spotlight. Hey baby, <laughs> I'm going to take you to the Legrine yeah. place. We're gonna go to Bolzano. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I should have said maybe Balzano. Yeah, but yeah. Well, I feel like you did in a way. Yeah, I kind of did. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I like I, I I was always amazed coming from San Francisco and working in Napa Valley and and um, San Francisco because you in had the Bay Area, in the Bay Area. Work, and thinking that I'd have even more trouble selling wines like Legrine or Scipatino or or where it, people are uncouth as a right because they're in the South they're not in wine country they right. don't know about wine and I was one hundred percent wrong. I was super excited. the 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 Angelino wine community was was adventurous, and they they wanted, especially at Moza. I mean, I I didn't have any other experience at any other restaurant because I only worked there. Um, but they were super psyched to try these different. They wines. were into it. Mm -hmm. and, sense of discovery. And the other thing, you know, I I still do it at, at Del Posto, and obviously no one really wants to do this, but I, I want people to I want to be honest. It's like if you do not like this wine, don't feel bad. I will gladly drink it for you. But you do say it like that. Like, I do. Like you're going to kill my pet deer. If right. I, if you yeah. don't feel bad. Don't feel for bad. Bambi. <laughs> With like tremulation you know, in your voice and I, stuff. Yeah. I, I really yeah. don't. I, I don't want to cry. I'll take it back. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I like it. Uh, 
but you know, I just just being honest with people and yeah. you know, I think leveling the, with them and mm-hmm. making them feel like, hey, I'm not gonna pull the security blanket out from underneath right. you. We're on the same team here. I want you to like the wine. And I think that's a guiding principle that, you know, it took me a while to learn too. I'm at my first wine my first wine director gig in Napa Valley, you know, it's 25, young. Where was that? Uh, at a restaurant called Trevina in, oh, okay, in St. Right. Helena. Kind of right on the wine route mm-hmm. in a way. And I think I, I was hired for a few different reasons. You know, one, I was young, cheap, passionate, and willing to do anything. Yeah. And they gave me that opportunity. And um, the, the the two gentlemen that hired me, I, I owe them so much. And I, I look forward to them one day coming to, to, to Del Posto and, and returning the favor that they taught me. But, you know, as a young, young guy there, you know, they gave me a lot of leash and then they had to kind of pull it back because, you know, you go in guns a blazing and I'm going to make the best one yeah. in this in the world. And it's going to look exactly like the sculpture I want to cut. Right. Like that kind and, of thing. and you're like, you know, we don't have to have Mandavi. We don't have to right, have right, this. Right. We're going to just do small stuff and we're going to bring in these, you How know, did that work out on the middle of wine country. Um, it, it didn't go over well with some people and it went over well with others. Um, did those people it didn't go over with happen to work for wineries? Uh, yes. I see. Yes. And I, and I learned the hard way one night, um, you know, and I, I just be naive and, and not understanding the politics of, of the wine country. I mean, when you're in the heart, I can imagine it's just as intense in Alba or, or Montalcino or, or any really wine centric place that, you know, m- movement on the wine list is is something you have to really weigh carefully. And I didn't know that and I made a move where I just thought, you know, I've have, I have four other wines on the wine list represented by this winery. I'm I'm out of stock on this. It's, it's you know, we sell we sell a good amount, but I got a lot of other of the similar varietal. Do I need five wines from X winery? Right. And I'm all like, no. I was wrong. Um you know, it was a. Fr- and how did that manifest itself? It was funny. I mean, it was a. Fr- it w- it's funny now. Uh, it was a Friday night, and um, super busy. It was like in the in the height of the season there, which is the summertime, and their national sales director comes in, and I'm like, oh no! I see him at the door, and he's a big, imposing guy. Just a coincidence that he happened to be stopping I, by. I I was like, what's he doing here? And I I'm told by the the mater d, he's like, he really wants to talk to you. He's like, I'm busy. Yeah. And he's like, no, you really need to talk to him. I'm like, oh, no. So I go over there. He's like, why did you take this wine off the list? I was like, dude, you've got four other wines. He's yeah. like, that doesn't matter. Really? I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. He's like, we have a relationship here. It's always been on the list since day one. All these all these things. We send you so much business from the winery. And I was like, wow, I really kind of screwed up. I mean, I should have. This person he's seems like, angry. Yeah, and, he, and it was angry. He's Friday. He he lived maybe like forty five minutes down the road in, in Napa, so and he got a call from someone, and he they told him right. to come right up there. Knows everybody. So I mean, I disturbed his life on a Friday night, and that made me feel bad. Right. He could be watching the game right, right. now. Exactly. And he's not. Uh, he could be with the kids. I don't know, but like uh, I I felt I felt bad, even though maybe I shouldn't have felt bad. But uh, it just made me realize that I need to make sure that when I'm dealing with, with wineries or, 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 or vendors, I need to be as honest as I can. And I'm still, I'm still working on that. And I, I, maybe what I should have done is picked up the phone and said, you know what, there's two weeks left in the month. I'm out of stock on this wine. I'll bring it back at the beginning of the month. Right. Put, keep that bridge in place right. and be like, Hey, just so you know, it's, you know, right. I'm not going to nuclear on you. Right. This is just uh, moving some troops around. That kind right. of thing. And I didn't do that. And it was a, it was a, it was a good lesson to learn. Um, not, not one that made me happy. I'm, I still think about it a lot, uh, but I think that the takeaway is is when you cross a bridge, look back. Don't just keep walking because waves tend to be made and right. waves tend to get bigger. Exactly, exactly. Before they crash. So you're in LA and you're working with Nancy Silverton. She's pretty badass. What was that like? Oh, Nancy is one of the greatest people I've ever worked for and worked with, and I admire her and I love her like a mom. Um, she's genuine, honest. She always wants the best for her employees. That's the coolest thing. Like when this opportunity came up, when Joe called her and said, Hey, would you mind Jeff coming to New York? She's not a partner in Del Posto. Right. So you would be leaving her restaurant. Exactly. And, and she was totally cool with it. She was like, you know, this is the right move for Jeff, even though I really like him being here and I, I like him being around. I know this is what he wants. And she's never, she's been nothing but gracious, nothing but 
every time she comes to New York, she texts me, calls me, sees me, gives me a huge hug. And the on a, on a culinary side, I think Nancy Silverton's one of the most underrated chefs in the country. This this woman could probably be as famous as as Mario or Rachel Ray or whomever, but she it was always more about the food than anything else. And I'll never one day if you who if you haven't been to Moza and you're in LA, go to Moza. If there's not reservations, just walk in. Uh, there's this thing called the mozzarella bar, and the idea behind it in Rome, the 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 mozzarella bar called I think Obatique. Uh huh. Yeah, they have one here actually in uh, Sony Center. Um, that was kind of the inspiration behind the the mozzarella bar there. Something this this kind of antipasta bar where chefs are out in the the dining room and cooking uh, bruschetta, mozzarella, whatever. And one day she was messing around, and I was sitting there on my computer at the bar, and it's before service, and. She hands me this crostini with a sardine and and a and like certain olive oil, and I eat it, and I was like, "Oh, that's really, really good." And she's like, "Wait." She takes a sliver of a cornichon and puts it on top, and that little sliver changed everything. And she's, "What do you think about that?" And I was like, "Holy shit!" And that's that's that right there told me she's like an amazing chef, an amazing palate, like her ability to deconstruct flavor is unparalleled and and awe-inspiring and like reading her cookbooks and and tasting her bread like the the pizza dough for Osteria Mozza and a lot of people say you know it's not really pizza it's a flatbread whatever you want to call it to me it's a pizza um that's good yeah, yeah i grew up on Domino's, so what what do i know right. um she worked on this pizza dough for like 2 years and she's a perfectionist about making sure flavor is perfect and i I love her to the to the ends of the earth and respect her so much. I mean, it gets me a little verklempt. Um, and and the, my favorite thing and the thing I still miss, like every time she comes at 10 o'clock every night, she'd look at me because she always worked the mozzarella bar. And she'd be like, Jeff, it's 10 o'clock. She likes a big glass of, of full-bodied red wine. So 10 o'clock. It's bar o'clock. It's bar o'clock. And I, every time I see her still, it's like- ah, A little cornichon on the top of the rim. No, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Nancy Silverton and Moza, it's a great operation. And uh, I learned a lot there, even in my short time there, the, the general manager's name's David Rosoff. And um, one thing about David is he taught me, which my wife's been trying to teach me and other people have tried to teach me for a long time, attention to detail. And I think in the restaurant business and the fine dining, attention to de- details, everything. It's, it's, it's what separates dining from fine dining. Exactly. And... The thing we always talk about at Del Posto and we talked about Moza is it's the little things. All the, the the microscopic details that we do add up to be this grandiose experience for the guest. And he's the one that really honed that into me and, and pushed. And, and sometimes it was extremely frustrating. You'd be like, oh my God, dude, come on. That? But then you think about it and you're like, oh, from the guest perspective, again, that makes a huge difference. And that year and a half of intense, you know, David, he's a very intense man, um, but so, so good at what he does. And his passion for wine is is so exuberant and amazing. And combining that with Nancy's just like in attention to detail and food and flavor, it was such a great training ground to come here and, and work at Del Posto and, and be closer to, to, to Mario and Joe and then get involved with Mark Latner and then the general manager, Jeff Katz at, at Del Posto. It, it was it was the right right direction and uh what do you think about new york in terms of the wine market and the scene clientele what what would you i mean you new york is of all the places i'm 30 i'm about to be 36 in a few weeks and hey, congrats thanks i made it um of all the places in in my life that i've lived and things i've experienced i've never felt more at home in new york city um i've never felt more inspired content uh, excited every day, uh, just coming off the train here and looking up. You know, I've always wanted to come in on, in this building, and you see this building, you're like, "Wow, it's so neat." You know, I've only only lived here two years, and I probably st- still see it through kid eyes. But I think that's one thing that I like about myself is anywhere I go, I still I I'm still much a pretty big kid. There's a glee. There's super of super a, de- a sense of discovery, exactly, and how that can be fun, and that plays out on the wine side. And I think with the the wine world here. Um, it's 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 like that. There's so many places to to eat and drink, and so many different um, like 
ideas of what food and wine is. And it's it's inspiring to go to uh, a wine bar downtown or a wine bar uptown or a restaurant on the Upper East Side, a restaurant in Brooklyn, and see the different philosophies, good and bad. Uh, but it's it's inspiring. It's very educational because one, you know, the the good and the bad of of what I do is being so focused on one place on Earth is I've fallen out of of understanding kind of the what's going on in certain parts of the world with with regards to wine. Um, so yeah, I mean, Argentina changes right. and Australia changes, and there's a new vintage here and something a new winemaker there, but it's harder to know when you're focusing exclusively on Italy, right. although there's so much depth to Italy, what's going on in the rest of the world. Exactly. And, you know, even though I'm, I'm studying for my master's sommelier exam, uh, and, and I, st- I have to keep up with it, it's it's not the same as, like, having reps and winemakers from all over the world come and taste you taste on wine. Taste you on stuff consistently. what's going on. Exactly. I mean, I taste wine from all over the world all the time. I read about it. But again, having that interaction daily and selling it daily is, is, is very different. So... Uh, the wine community here is is really neat. the 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 biggest difference is none of us have enough time. Yeah. The as a sommelier in New York City, your normal day, a, a, an easy day, is ten hours. Mm-hmm. A normal day is twelve hours. And then the the on on top of that, you know, you've got another twelve hours of the day, and hope you're hopefully squeaking out six hours of sleep, eight hours if you're super lucky. If you're married and you have a family, you've got to manage that as well. And you know, there's there's Lots of other sommeliers in town that I, I want to hang out with, but n- none of us, our schedules are very different and uh, that's the challenge. But everybody's been really open and and fun and exciting. And the, when they come to the restaurant, they're super stoked. And when I go to their restaurants, they're super generous. And I find that you often do, if you want to hang out with certain sommeliers, you really have to go to their restaurant to hang out with them. Exactly. They don't have a lot of free time either. And doesn't usually match up with your free time. So almost like going to the restaurant as a guest is the way that you That's how you that's how you hang out. And you know, for for good or bad, it gets difficult and it gets really expensive. Um well, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah friends, ex- exactly, you know. exactly. But you know, I mean, there's there's some psalms that have have, you know, like uh Laura at Cork Buzz um has done a really good job with her like um the the fifty percent off champagne. champagne after that. I mean that right popular. there that grabs half the Somalia community in the city to go there. Or, well, at that hour, exactly. Yeah. Or any of the um, the other um, events that take place at place at Cork Buzz, which um, are several. Yeah, like a lot happens there. Exactly. So I, I I think that's that's fun, and I've now I'm, I've I've worked my schedule in a way to try to take more opportunity with that. And and when those opportunities arise, if I'm able, I really try to make a, a conscious effort to go because I, I want to be around more people in the industry, want to experience their their take on wine and, and share ideas because I think that's how in a city that's so unique and and big and has so much to offer that, you know, by learning from each other we can we can grow our industry and get more people to enjoy wine. Um from all facets of society, and I think I think that's 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 what I'm drawn to. I think the um, there's so much passion that the Somalias that I meet here, the young, the 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 men and women who've been doing it for a long time in New York City, you still see glimmer of fire in in the in the the more mature Somalias who 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 like to rib it to you, um, but but still pass down that knowledge and 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 still are inspired by what the young Psalms are doing. I mean, that's what's super exciting about the city. So do you think uh, that that's a little different than some other cities? Like, do you think that that the bench of knowledge that you can kind of learn from the older generation is really active, and you can find and track these people down and learn from them? I think it, it's it's easier in New York because it's easier to get around. I know in LA that the sommelier community there, um, the, everyone that I, I I come in contact with were a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed being with them. But again, you have to drive. And what what happens when sommeliers get together? Uh, they tend to drink a lot. They tend to drink a lot. Yeah, and and getting a cab in, in Los Angeles is near impossible and costs like a hundred dollars. Is that true? Oh, it's ridiculous. It'll take like an hour, and then if you need to go like two miles, it'll cost you like thirty thirty dollars. Um, so that that was the biggest challenge in LA, San Francisco. That the sommelier community there is is really tight. Um, it was it was a lot of fun, uh, but again, you know, you you. You go around to people's restaurants and you hang out, and and I think people always compare the two cities. But New York and and, and L.A. with regards to sommelier communities have a lot of the similar um, 
ethos. Uh, it's just, I think in New York, we're a little more, like it's more intense. Like I always felt like in San Francisco and I, I've had to learn to to keep up with this intensity. And I think working in the the restaurant that I do, it makes you even more intense because you've, you've got to get this done. You've got to make Certain it perfect. level of expectation. Exactly. And in, and in San Francisco, you know, it's California. It's a little more relaxed. Um, which is which is fine and 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 nice sometimes, but I really like the energy intensity of of New York and and the passions that the sommeliers here have not not necessarily ideologues, but you know people are really passionate about what they're passionate about. Like you and I are very passionate about Barolo, and uh, I I tell people like when I'm talking to guests, I will throw down if someone says Nebbiolo is not the greatest red grape in the world, I will I'm ready to wrestle. You know what I'll do is I'll often trick people into doing that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, because then they usually bring out the good stuff. Exactly. I'm like, oh, I don't know if Burgundy's really that, all that they say it is. <laughs> you know? And then they feel compelled to show you. And you're, you're like, like oh, oh, God. I score. Just, you know? Every time I have Burgundy, it's like, it's like flipping a coin. Sometimes it's good. Yeah. Sometimes it's bad. But you know, hey. It's getting a little expensive for them. Yeah. Though, so they're starting to beg out of that. But, exactly. Yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit about Del Post? I mean, we've hit it in some broad strokes, but what's the list like, and what do you do there? So the Del Posto is a is such an interesting uh, restaurant. I mean, it's it's huge. The idea of it is this, uh, you know, Del Posto kind of roughly translates to the place, um, or a place, or there's a lot of different Italian ideas of what it means. Um, but you know, when Joe and Mario and Lydia decided to open Del Posto. They wanted to create um, kind of this bridge between Italy and America, this this all-encompassing um, opus magnum to, or magnus opa. How, how do you say it? I'm, I think it's opus one. I think opus one. The, they wanted to start the opus one <laughs> of, uh, of, Italian of Italian food and wine. Um, but the wine program there, and, and I, when people ask me this question, I kind of equate it to uh, museums. That's kind of my analogy of, of thought right now, that Del Posto's wine list represents kind of the Metropolitan Museum of Art of Italian wine. Mm -hmm. um, it's all encompassing. It, it needs to focus on the greats. Uh, it needs to, to show the, the fringes. It needs to show the, the, the modern, the traditional, and everything in between. Um, we focus on Barolo and Brunello and Superduscans. That's where the majority of our sales come. That's what guests expect. And that's where you get the deepest, you know, verticals. And well, that's where you can find things right. with age too. Exactly. Because it's hard to find the Calabrian. Right. right. <laughs> um, and, and to really highlight what, what, what's happening in Italy and what happened in Italy. It's, it's. And what would you say that is? You know, it's. It's this. It's almost come full circle. To, to it, I mean, that's a difficult question because I think it's still discovering itself. It depends on the producer. Certain producers have gone from super traditional to super modern, and now are re reverting to super traditional again. Um, some, like Giacomo Canterno, have just stayed on one course, and you know, now I, I just got my allocation of the O five Monfortinos, and it's, it's really good. Yeah, is it? I haven't. Tr I haven't tried it yet. I mean, I haven't tried it since it's been bottled. But it's everything you want. Awesome. It's very. I mean, obviously, it's not cheap. <laughs> if if you're around, don't miss. Right. It's really good. Um, but I was going to say, you know, looking at the, the the price, it's 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 super expensive. But comparatively to other regions of the world, Bordeaux, Burgundy, it's a steal. Yeah. And, I completely agree with you. And the quality is so there, and the the consistency. That's the thing that I love about uh, Piemonte in particular, and I and I, I'd also have to say Montalcino. Um, the, the, the great producers of, of Brunello are very consistent. The, the Costantis, the, the Biondi Santis, the Fulginis of the world, the, you know, the Solderas. And it's really sad about what happened there. Um, but, you know, luckily you come to Del Posto, we've got Solderas going backwards. Um, so the, our, our list is, is all-encompassing, focusing on the greats. And the, the challenge with that is, like you alluded to earlier, with a list so big, you know, when we buy at auction, when we buy at sellers, you're only getting one or two bottles or three bottles of this. So you're, I'm always chasing my tail because when guests come, especially during this last holiday season, they raid the cellar. And, and that's what we want they them want to do. Because they want a special yeah. cherry wine. They want something special. And, and that's what we want them to do. And, and the fun of my job is to, to seek out. And a bounty hunter. You're looking for things. Exactly. I'm, because unlike uh, Bordeaux and that market, 
there isn't a ton of aged wine just waiting to be sold. Right. Um, really anywhere, even at auction, you know, things come up and then they leave and maybe they don't come again for a while. I mean, certain names tend to come up more frequently, obviously, but it can be difficult to source quantity of right. things with age. And a lot of these wines, you know, need some, some need some time. It can be a little bit difficult. I mean, I would imagine also that the kind of fragmented state of distributors in Italian uh, markets in New York is somewhat challenging. I mean, how many reps do you work with? I mean, that's I, I counted up the other day and, and you know, I, I have roughly about 85, 85 people that call on me. Amazing. And obviously I don't, I, you know, I, I can't see them all the time and people want to see, I mean, I could literally have. People always want to be in the four-star yeah, place. Five, I could have all day long, 10 hours a day, meetings every day of the week with different people. Um, and never tasting the same wine. Right. Twice. Which is, it's, it's exciting, but it's, it's also like my philosophy that I, yeah, I love tasting wine. I love seeing vendors. It's fun. That's the fun part of the job. But at the end of the day, my, my, my job is to make sure the guest is getting the experience. So, you know, you need if, to be on the floor. Yeah. I need to be on the floor and I also need to be in the office working the wine list. You know, I, I we've had this offsite seller where, I mean, again, the thing about Del Posto, we're blessed. I mean, the success of Joe and Mario and Lydia have afforded our company to invest in this wine program. It's a huge wine program. I mean, uh, I don't know. How many listings are we talking about here? <sighs> roughly around 3,000. Uh-huh. And that's what, what's cool about that. It's almost all Italian. Mm -hmm, right. It's champagne. And for, for, for our restaurant, and I'm working on revamping the champagne list, but I, I, I would like more people to come and see our champagne list. I think we have one of the best champagne lists in the country. Is it kind of like a sneak attack? Like people don't associate right. you with that, so they don't necessarily come to you for it? Exactly. I mean, we have like 250 champagnes on the wine list. And from, you know, deep Enotech selections and crew, crew collection and stuff we bought at auction, but also a lot of uh, record manipulators and grower producers. Um, and and I champagne and champagne and Barolo are my passion. Those two, I could forego everything else in my life. If someone said, all you can drink is, is two things, it'd be that. And uh, That being said, do you feel like the list has changed significantly from Morgan to Henry to you? Or do you feel like it's essentially the same vision? Um, I think it, it, it's it's definitely changed between Morgan and Henry. Um, not not Morgan being the opening, right? Sony. Exactly. Not 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 maybe not to the out outer perception, but within within what we what we have, like what I see. Um, and you how know. is that? Well, I mean, when when the restaurant first opened, they were doing a lot many more covers. Uh, it was a, it was a kind of a different philosophy because you guys took out some seats, right? Um, and it was it was kind there was of, that casual thing by the bar, right? There was the Enoteca. There was like you know they were doing 300, 350 covers a night. Um, and, and just pumping and, and, and Joe and Morgan had put together a, a list that, you know, they'd bought wines from La Loggia and, and Siena, um, some sellers had, had just like brought wine from all over the, the world to, to create this giant wine list. The biggest change has been, um, the formatting of the wine list. Oh, is that true? Yeah. I, I, I'd always had a dream and I wanted to do it at Moza to, um, and I, I I, I got inspired by going to to Nebbiola Prima. Uh-huh. Um, it's a great event. And and learning about the, you know, learning more about the Menziona Geografica tip um Geografica's the cruise. The communes and yeah. cruise of Pro. And I was like, you know what? You go you look at a great wine list for Burgundy, it's broken up by village and then broken up by vineyard. Why don't we do that for Barolo? Why don't we do that for Barbaresco? So that's that's probably the biggest change. Do you feel like customers have followed you along with that? Like do they know where Trezo is versus Nieve or no? Not no, no, they haven't followed. I mean, the that's is that a challenge. It, it is, it, it, and that's part of the reason I wanted to do it. I wanted to to get people to recognize that there's difference. That like last night, a, a gentleman said, "You know, you have Protatory del Barbarosco here and here. Right. What's the difference?" Right, right, right. And that's 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 the door. That's what I'm looking for. My I'm I'm not looking to impose my will on people per se, but I want to teach them that there's a difference, and that you know, if you'd like to try them side by side or. Or, you know, this uh, Asili versus Poro or Velo. Because it's actually kind of fascinating. Yeah, exactly. And there's a consistency year to year. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the main reason I want to do it. So that's probably the biggest change. You know, Henry, and when I, when I um, going back to kind of the differences between the wine directors, 
when I came on board, Henry said, you know, you've got to be a steward to the future wine director. And I, I think that was a great, that was the best thing he told me. He's like, well, it's nice to hear that, from, especially from the guy who's leaving. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, at least that was his philosophy. Right. You're like, oh, sweet score. Um, and what Henry did, because Morgan and Joe had put together this list and they had lots of, um, lots of older wines. And so Henry and his crew had a, had a time to draw off, draw that, off those wines. And they bought younger things. And so, yeah, Henry bought, Henry filled our warehouse. Oh, when I got there, our warehouse was, was full, but I still have to take, you know, our allocations and make sure, you know, I took a, I wanted to take and have been taking a big position on the 2008 Piedmontese vintage with Not Barbara Esco and Barolo. Yeah. Um, 06 in, um, in Montalcino. But when I got there and after, you know, a few months, our reserves of older wine had been almost totally depleted. And so the biggest challenge for me was finding access to old wines and just, you know, working every angle and being new to New York at the time, I didn't know. You didn't know which I didn't rocks know who, to pick up. Yeah, exactly. And because yeah. there is an art to that. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it took some time, but we finally got in there and, and, you know, again, the greatest thing about the Del Posto is, is being able to have, you know, I can call up Joe and say, look, Joe, we found this stash of Sasakaya. We can have a 25 year vertical. This is how much it's going to cost. He's like, I'll write a check. Yeah. Because he has the resources, mm -hmm. and I, that's that's what's so amazing about this this restaurant. And it's it's. Do you feel like that's almost kind of unique inside of America for an Italian I restaurant? I think it's unique for the world. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, it's and it's it's you always think about the future. It's like, you know, if if and when I I leave, I'm never going to have this ability again. Uh, Really, I mean, this is a, a one-time opportunity to kind of buy like we buy, um, which is which you is can go all in on people. Yeah, it's humbling. You like push all the chips into yeah. the middle of the, the thing and see if they fold. You know exactly. Yeah, and they're like, "Wow, and, a lot of chips." And uh, it's 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 such an amazing program, and it's it's humbling and it's awe-inspiring. And like the thing that I love about what I do is like last night. You know, when people tell me they know I'm happy and having fun. Because you're right, I am having fun. I love what I do, and it is a job. And there's days where I don't love what I do, but in the global sense of of being able to work, I am paid to do my passion. And I I'm so lucky that my I had parental support when I told them I didn't want to do medical school. I have a, a wife who lets me live this lifestyle that's not convenient to being married. Um, but. It's it's uh, the greatest thing when guests see it in your eyes and you really want to give them, even if they spend, and I have a, a rule that I really try to work with my Psalms, like if they want to spend $75 or $50 or they want to spend $5,000, let's give them the best service possible. Let's make sure when they open a multiple Giano di Bruzzo or, 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 or whatever, or the Conterno 58, that they, they feel that we're emotionally invested in it because they've made an investment that they can afford. And I want them to be happy with that. So Del Posto is a four-star New York Times, highly rated restaurant. Uh, you know, you, you moved there subsequent to the four-star review that Sam Sifton gave it. What was that experience like when you kind of took up the reins? So when the, the call came um, and Joe wanted me to come out, I mean, obviously I was super excited, but very, very, very nervous. I mean, this is something I've wanted. I've always wanted to work fine dining. I've always, you know, I. I'd applied to be a sommelier at Danielle like five years ago. I'd, I'd wanted to work at True in Chicago, um, places in, at the Wynn Hotel in Vegas. And I never had that opportunity. And then when it came to be the wine director, I literally, uh, I, it, it, was, it was scary. It, this, is a, this is the biggest city in the world. Uh, huge expectations. The diners, I, I was afraid of the diners before I got here. You know, now I, now I, I love my diners. But I was scared. I mean, to be honest, and you had to, I had to hide that obviously because I had I was coming into a, a wine team that you're supposed to be the leader, of. right? Right. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. Uh, even though I subsequently am like six to ten years older than most of them, I I still feel like a 21 year old most of the time. Are they all Americans? The wine team. Um, when I joined, they w no. There was one. There's always been one Italian on the wine team. Now I've I have two Italians. So you also kind of have to like go do some international relations exactly team. it's not just like hey we all understand each other right away and at the at the time the the italian sommelier who's now one of our managers um 
he came from Gordon Ramsay in London, which is three-star Michelin. Sure. So his service acumen was like, like top notch. When you watch him serve a table, it is it's art. And I'm a six one, two hundred fifty pound Texan who is not very graceful. You're not, and you're not trying out for the bullshit bullet no, after this. No, uh, maybe. <laughs> um, but. When I, I I I was I was super nervous because Moza is you know two fifty three hundred covers very very fast paced Trevino very very fast paced I I had done some um, staging at the fifth floor in San Francisco but it's a very small restaurant so it's 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 slow but you only have a few tables here you have you have Del Posto which I'm supposed to be the leader I'm supposed to know everything that I'm supposed to be doing I'm in a brand new four star restaurant with extremely high expectations and I can't fuck it up. And uh, that I, I think that's what really pushed me at the beginning. I worked really, really hard and really concentrated on my service and uh, would go to tables. I, the, the first time I was on the floor by myself, my heart was fluttering. It was, it was kind of like being at the spelling bee as a little kid. You're like, oh my God, am I gonna screw up? And you don't, I mean, this is, I've been doing this for a long time and it's, 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 different, but it's not different. I mean, people are people. People are people. You just have really fancy tablecloths, nice nice napkins, amazing china. Um, but the wine bottle is an extension of my arm. Uh, the, the, the corkscrew is something that I can do without looking and I've been doing it. And I just took a deep breath and I pour the bottle, bottle of wine and I go for it. And then you get in the heat of service and it feels, it feels great and it feels right. Um, the, the can the hardest thing going forward is always maintaining that four-star service what do you think people are looking for when they come in the door that's a good question i think people are looking for very different things i think the biggest difference about del posto versus the other four-star restaurants is we're kind of seen as the outsider you know one we're italian food um not so many four stars are italian right. necessarily or have been exactly um you know we have <laughs> we have people who who want red sauce and people who want haute cuisine. So their idea of fine dining might be, hey, I want you to cook this pasta that I'm requesting. Right. Like uh, I would like you to make some rigatoni with the meatball sauce and that I, I want you to serve me. So exactly. I'm asking you to do it. Because a lot of Italian restaurants, people come in and call out their sauce and their pasta, at least traditional red sauce kind of places. And do you have people kind of dictate a menu to you? Um, I, I think we we have and we still do it's not as much as it, it used to be i think people as as the press has, has grown about the restaurant they kind of understand it's got a more traditional fine dining structure there's a, a five course prefix and an eight course kind of tasting menu and you you can do a la carte but only if you're a certain number of table or a certain number of people at a table four or less um and that's the chef would prefer people not to do a la carte because the menu's designed to be a tasting the menu's designed to to be a tour of, of flavor and that's what it's set up for. So when you just come and have a plate of pasta, you don't get the whole experience. You're not seeing that progression right. that he's set up in his mind. And we, we've had people come and ask for pizza and we're like, well, we don't serve pizza. They're like, well, you're an Italian restaurant. We're like, yes, we're, we're restaurante. Right. Uh, <laughs> not, not pizzeria. <laughs> um, and, and so that's interesting. We, we sit on this fringe of the four stars and I think it, it, it carries with us this, this chip on our shoulder kind of because we're not French. We're not, we're not, some people believe we may not supposed to be there. Some people believe we should be there. It's, it's, this, it's this weird thing, but we work so hard in service. You know, we're, we do geared on service, which for those that don't know what a geared on is, it's like a little trolley. It's a, it's a table that has wheels and you wheel it up to the table and our glasses are there. The wines are in baskets. There's a candle. If we decant it and it needs a candle. We prime all the glasses. You know, we have, you know, tonight when I go into work right after this, we'll have 55 front of house employees for 200 seats, 200 people that come into dinner tonight. We'll have 50 people in the kitchen. So it's almost for every two people, we're gonna have one person working there. And and that's a huge undertaking. And we we have to execute both front of the house and back of the house every day. And the stress is intense. But I think that's again, I think people in this industry, we kind of feed off the stress because we just come off the holidays, which in New York we call the season in, in our industry. And it's intense and every day, seven days a week, it's it's a madhouse and it's just 200 covers every single night. And then we drop off uh, the first week of the new year because people kind of rain back or they're coming back from the holidays and 
They're like, okay, we don't need to spend as much money right now and we'll do less covers. And you, your mind has to adjust to that and you have to do kind you have of, the methadone it a little bit. You're like, where's my hit? Yeah, no, where's totally. That's, that's, that's what it's about. Like last night you're kind of walking in circles. You're like, Oh, I don't have anything to do. Yeah. Uh, and you, you don't at, at, at this level of restaurant, you can't have boredom ever in her, in her, your mind cause you'll lose focus. Cause no matter what, if someone comes in like last night and it's a, it's a little slower night, I need to make sure their wine's filled, their water's filled, their plates are cleared correctly. Um, but that intensity of being a four-star restaurant is always there. We talk about it every day. And it's like we, I think we mentioned earlier, it's, it's all the, the little things, every little thing from the fact that, you know, when we serve you napkins, we serve it French style with the, the fork and the, or the two spoons. Uh, we change napkins between your, your savory course and your dessert course. If you drop a napkin, we try to be there like ninjas to fill it up and have you never notice anything. Do you ever do like a shuriken napkin? Like you th throw it from, oh no. <laughs> I haven't done that yet. Um, <laughs> but what you're saying is being four star allows you a lot of freedom, but mm -hmm. it brings with it a lot of obligation. Exactly. It's kind of the Spider-Man thing, you know? You have special powers and you need to use them for good. Right, exactly. Jeff Porter, using his powers for good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Skella has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.